you know, fishing is great, uh, but catching a fish is better. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast and another in our series on neurosurgeons' hobbies. So today we are joined by Mike Steinmetz, and Mike really needs no introduction because he's the chair of neurosurgery at Cleveland Clinic. And Mike has a lot of passions, but uh, he, he shares one with me, which is in fishing. And I will just relate the story that growing up in Georgia, I won my first bass fishing tournament when I was 11 years old, and I was totally addicted to this sport. Uh, my wife doesn't like it because she doesn't like me to kill animals, so I don't do it as much now. But it is it is a, a great hobby to have, and Mike is really a world class fisherman. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Mike. I really I really appreciate it. Now it's hard to uh, uh, say anything about fishing, knowing that uh, I have never won a bass fishing tournament, so I now <laughs> automatically inferior. <laughs> no, that's that's a sort of redneck sport. But Mike, let me just plug you as as well as being the uh, you're the head or chair or president of the CSNS, right? And also the, the chair or president of the spine section, right? That's correct. Yeah, it, it just so happened that I was uh, uh, nominated and elected to do this simultaneously. Uh, so I am uh, just finishing my term for both of these organizations uh, and will likely turn over to the new leadership uh, in, uh, in, uh, in April. And it was my honor to follow in your footsteps, uh, someone that has always been a good friend and somebody I've always uh, looked up to. Mike, I appreciate following you as, uh, the president or the, the chair of the spine section. Oh, no, no, we're just, we're colleagues. We follow each other, but, um, let's talk about the fishing. So tell us how this got started, because I know you travel with buddies to go fishing around the world. And, uh, and I know a lot of famous surgeons, some of whom have been on this, like um, Carl Heilman and John Wilson travel together. Tell us about how you got started. Was it when you were a child? Was it something that came later? Yeah, sure. You know, I, I grew up in a family that loved camping. So we, we, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. So it was an easy jaunt up into the Rocky Mountains. And my parents had a group of friends that had campers and loved to camp and the the men in the group fished and so i was just a a a young kid but really took to fishing you know the rocky mountain streams you know some of the famous streams we hear about today the colorado river the frying pan and i was doing this as a child and i got to a point that for whatever reason it just it just became such a passion for me that I could keep up with the adult men. I could, if I, you know, we were not fly fishing at the time, which is my passion now, but if I uh, had my hook, uh, you know, caught in a rock and broke my line, you know, as a young child, I could, you know, tie on a new hook. I could, you know, bait my hook. I could take care of myself. And so the men had no problem with me as really the only kid in the group, so to say, that was able to tag along 
with the adults during these fishing fishing excursions. So I really was introduced at a, at a very young age to fishing for trout in the Rocky Mountains with my father. And it, and it for whatever reason, Mike, I'm not quite sure why, it just became uh, an addiction. You know, I loved being out there in the mountains. I loved to be in a cold river stream uh, and trying to catch those uh, those wily trout, you know, up in this beautiful country. And it, and it just sort of had, had stuck to me uh, from that point on. Now, I wonder, Dr. Steinmetz, you know, there, there's so many different varieties of fishing, some out on the open sea in a, in a boat that could be quite active, some like you're describing in, in uh, freshwater and streams, rivers, where, you know, you're obviously not in a vehicle. It's, it's more of a patient sport, uh, more of a patient task where you wait for the fish and you, you lay a trap with your bait. Maybe you could speak about the, the difference between you know, we're surgeons, we're in the OR, we're actively engaged in a task. Maybe you could speak about the difference between things like that that we engage in and the patience of waiting for the fish to come to the bait and knowing the right moment to spring your trap. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess there are a lot of similarities in, in just even the type of fishing. You know, there's, as you mentioned, there's there's different ways to go about it. And they all have their uh, their intricacies, so to say, right? And so, but for me, um, I think one of the arts in fishing is fly fishing. That's really my, uh, my passion. And I can do it in the open ocean. I can do it in the flats of the ocean on a, on a boat in a lake. Or my preference uh, is really uh, in, in the stream. And, and it's the whole, I think, package that goes together into, into what sort of similar to what we do in neurosurgery. One is, I think we as surgeons are somewhat impatient, right? We want to sort of get to the point, uh, get you know, whatever disease we're treating cured, we want to get at it, get it done, uh, and, and and then get on, you know, that patient better and on to the next thing. And with, I think, fly fishing, especially in, in streams for trout, I mean, you are constantly moving, you know, you're moving to the right spots, you're judging the water, you're judging your environment around you, uh, and you're very skillfully trying to deliver, you know, a fly or a bait, uh, you know, to that fish uh, in a very precise uh, in a very precise way. And then oftentimes it's a, it's a fly that you tied yourself and created. And so, you know, I don't know, to some extent, that's like the intricacies we do in surgery, you know, where we, you know, we come in, we're, we're, we, we do have patients to do it right, but in patients that we're, we want to get in there and, and get that patient cured. And, and we're going to do it in a very finesse way, uh, very accurate way uh, and, uh, and get that job done. And I, and I think, you know, there's a way that we can see some similarities um, in the medical field we in and, and in, in our pastime of, as well. Well, one of my favorite movies about fishing is A River Runs Through It, right? And you would definitely be the Brad Pitt of the, of the fly fishing. I love the line where the dad says, the only kind of fishing there is is fly fishing and particular dry fly fishing, right? Not wet fly fishing. And I know that you practice all the art forms. So do you want to walk us through sort of the different schools of fishing? Because some of our listeners, maybe they come from places where uh, fishing is not so easy to do. I'll give you an example. China. Nature doesn't lend itself well to people just being able to fish or even eat the fish or, or do any kind of real fishing in a lot of parts. Or I was in Australia and it's such a big deal to go fishing there. So maybe you can walk our, our audience through a little bit about what you, how you see the craft of fishing and, and the different types and the schools and how they might differ. Like, why are the fly fishermen a little snootier than the others, you know? Yeah, that's a, 
That's a great point. And, and Mike, thanks for pointing it out. I, I am often compared to Brad Pitt uh, in many different ways. So I, I just want, I just appreciate you pointing that out. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, that that's a very interesting thing. You know, we often become purists, you know, because if you think about, you know, the different areas of fishing, it's not only the different, you know, types of fish in different areas of the country. Uh, it's also different uh, techniques. And you're right, often, uh, the different uh, schools uh, don't uh, look eye to eye, you know, on how each other fishes. You know, you've got your, you know, your lake uh, bass fishermen who are very tech savvy, right? Have very loud, fancy boats with lots of electronics on it uh, and, you know, 10 different fishing rods and a, and a jersey with all the, you know, different sponsors of stuff on them who are running and gunning around the lake, you know, throwing lures and trying to catch uh, fish using a lot of the science behind uh, more electronics and finding the fish and then, you know, being able to do it versus fly fishermen who, uh, you know, and there's different ways to fly fish is, you know, fishing flies underwater or fishing flies on the surface, as you mentioned, who are taking a little bit more of a delicate uh, uh, presentation, trying to present something to a fish that looks very much alive or real uh, and fooling them, you know, into that versus the so-called, you know, bait fishermen who are putting a worm on the bottom of a, of a hook and throwing it out, you know, into the lake and sitting around uh, and waiting. And so, you know, there's, there's, there, and there's more than that, right? But the, those are probably the big buckets, you know, bait fishermen, uh, uh, those like in bass masters running around in boats. Uh, there's obviously in the ocean, your control for fish where you're just throwing a line out in the water um, and really the skill there is probably more the boat captain than the fisherman in a sense that you're putting a, a, a lure or bait at a certain depth and it's really the captain who's navigating the boat at certain speeds and depths to find the fish uh, as well. And so, you know, it, it's interesting. I'm not sure why uh, fly fishermen do get a rap of being snooty, but they are. Um, you know, uh, I'm one of them. Uh, we often become purists right, where we only can fish one certain way in, in, in certain waters. And I find myself uh, that same uh, type of person. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I look at other areas of fishing and they often become the same. And I, I think the thing we've got to do is, is look at this more with an open mind in a sense that, you know, uh, all of these areas have their precision. Uh, they're not so simple. We often think of bait fishermen as an example of being just a very simple, lazy way to go about it. But if you think about it, you know, they're picking certain baits and fishing in certain waters and they understand waters and water temperature. And so there's so much that goes into all of it that differentiates them. But I think we're, we're different, uh, but we're, we're still the same in, in many different ways where we approach, approach the water in different ways, but it is still very scientific. It's very, I think every one of them is, has their snootiness, you know, so to say. And so we, we've got to sort of not look at each other differently and look at us more the same. But I, again, I guess I'm, I'm kind of going round about here, Mike, and, 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 not really knowing why fly fishermen are snooty. I think they are because classically it's, you know, the tweed jacket and the pipe uh, and the artificial only, like I'm only going to fish with dry flies and I'm only going to put the fish back and we'll never kill one. And so I think it, it's always had this sort of sense of, of uh, aloofness or, you know, the fishermen being aloof. Um, but I think if you look at fishermen today, that's, that's not so much the same uh, uh, anymore. I know that was somewhat rambling, but uh you know, I think, and I think some of the difference too, also, when you look at these different types is really like, what do you do with the fish? You know, like we often think in the fly fishing world, like we'd never kill one. Like you mentioned your wife, you know, like wanting to kill animals. Like, you know, I'm somewhat of a purist. I put them back, 
uh, because I want to try to catch them again tomorrow and I want my kids to catch them. But in essence, if, if these fisheries are taken care of properly by the state or private groups, whatever's doing it, you can take out fish successfully and eat them and not hurt the overall fishery. And it, it's up to us to not look down on people that are at least doing it, you know, appropriately and legally. I love hearing you talk about the picking the right location, not only where to stand, the right portion of the stream, the right place to place your fly when you cast it. Um, because as we all know, positioning is everything. Um, but you also touched on a, a technical aspect of fly fishing that I've been curious about for years. I've casually fished when I was a, when I was younger, but I've never done any fly fishing, certainly never anything seriously. But I've always heard, both from friends who were fishermen and from you know reading novels, reading Hemingway, everyone is so obsessed about the knot tying and how you tie your knots, how you tie your flies. I've always wondered what the meaning of that is. And you, you briefly mentioned making the fly look alive. So is it the way the fly sits on the water so that it moves as, as if it's living or is it tying it so that the fish can't visually see the knot? What, what's the, the importance of, of those knots? Well, I mean, I, th I think, you know, one is not tying and fishing is, uh, is an art, right? And so it, it's amazing the number of knots that are out there uh, that everybody uses and swears by. It's fascinating. There's books out there, you know, not big books, but small books going over all of the different knots that are out there. And as surgeons, I, I, I think it's fascinating, you know, the, the way to tie a knot and the way to connect different pieces of tippet together or, or line, fishing line together. Um, I think that the knot tying, I think, is more or less around the strength of uh, the connection that you're making and what you're connecting it to, you know, mm. how large of diameter the line is and what you're connecting it to. There are certain knots that you can tie with certain types of flies, like um, a fly that imitates a fish, you know, a so-called streamer. You know, you'll use more of a loop knot so that when you're stripping it through the water, it it can glide or move side to side as opposed to a rigid knot to the hook where it just gets pulled straight behind it. So there are types of knots that provide some life uh, uh, to the flies more specific than others. But I think the knot in itself, and we appreciate this as surgeons, is all about strength, I think, right? It's like the pride that if your line were to ever to break, you, know, you, you don't want it to break where the knot was. That's a sign of weakness, so to say, or an error you created. Uh, as opposed to the line breaking, well, that was just a big, strong fish. And, you know, you have some honor in that, you know, that of that fish getting off if the line broke, uh, as opposed to a knot as a surgeon you tied uh, in the uh, in the in the in the fish broke it right at the knots. But it, but I but I do think that the the thing with the fly fishing, though, as regards to the knot, but getting back to the naturality of the fly is that that's the that's the art of it, regardless if you're if you're putting a fly on the surface of the water or you're fishing it below the surface as like a, a nymph or an emerging nymph or something like that. It's a, it's truly an understanding of the entomology. So at that moment in that river, like what is the predominance of the, the, the bugs that the fish are eating and what stage are they in? So do you know what type it is and what stage it is? And then can you mimic that, you know, right size to some extent color uh, and how it looks either above or below the surface of the water I think that's really the art of fly fishing and then being able to deliver the fly uh, in whatever stage it is in a way that looks natural enough so that fish thinks it's, it's a normal bug and wants to eat it. 
Yeah, every surgeon can remember their early career when the first thing you did was learn how to tie knots, right? And that obsession and the need to tie thousands of knots on your scrubs or whatever really uh, really is a commonality of all surgeons. So so thank you for bringing that up. And that's an excellent uh, response to, to, to John's um, question. Let me ask you about time and the social elements of fishing, because to me, that's to, to me, that's what really strikes me. So I go through my day, as does JP, and I'm sure when you're in Cleveland, Ohio, with every five minutes mattering, right? I mean, from the minute you wake up, every five minutes is consumed by either work or family or writing or your volunteer organizations. And then you fly or drive to this other place and you spend hours or days uh, in either isolation or small groups that have nothing to do with neurosurgery or work, and you're completely detached. How does how does that play in your life? Is that like a vacation for you? Or is that where you do your thinking? Is it necessary or is it hard for you to do that? Does it take time to, to break away from the hectic nature of being the chairman of neurosurgery at CCF? Yeah, Mike, that is, that's a great, uh, you know, really point. I mean, I think... Um, for me personally, it is a uh, it is a break. It is a break away, and so even even if it's getting away onto a and uh, one of our streams close by for a couple hours is a way to break away from all of that hectic you know rustle and bustle of you know being a, a surgeon, patient care, and even even running a, a department and issues that are facing you know the health system or those of as a department. So. I think for me it's required. It allows me to sort of reset myself. I get out, uh, and often those troubles we're facing, you know, even if I just went and did something else, it's still on my mind. I'm still thinking about the day's problems. If I can get out on a river and start fishing, for me, it's my zen. You know, I'm at, I'm at peace. And uh, and even if it's even if it's you know one of the uh, trips I've taken recently um, was to a little town in Chile called Chile Chico. It took literally took 24 hours to get there. And it was planes, trains, and automobiles and ferries to get to this place. And we would walk over rocks and hills and mountains like five miles a day to do this phenomenal fishing. And so it was a, it was a ton of work. It was a physical activity. And I was thinking to myself, how is this vacation? I'm like beating myself up. But you know, the minute then you get and set foot in that stream and start casting, it's like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm fully at peace. I'm at, I'm, you know, I'm not having to worry about that. And it, it is tough, uh, Mike, I will say for the first day or so getting into one of those scenarios, especially on an, a, a trip away for a long time. Um, you know, I'm still thinking about work, but it probably takes maybe one day to kind of break away from that, uh, and get into that kind of Zen and peace. The unfortunate thing is the last day of the trip, when you know the next day you're getting back into, you know, more reality again, that's where it starts setting back in. And, you know, like, oh, here we go back to reality. Why can't I stay one more week? Now, I, I sometimes uh, criticize myself for asking stereotypical questions or the trite question. And so I'll I'll give the trite answer to myself and then let you expand on it and give some real perspective. But so often with fishing, I assume you don't catch anything. And so the question would be, what joy do you still find from the process? Is it the journey or the destination? And I'm going to guess the answer is, of course, you enjoy the process of just getting out there, getting away, finding your Zen, as you said. But then, of course, if you catch a fish, there's the joy, the elation of the successful process. So with all of that 
acknowledge the the obvious stuff. Maybe you could just talk about the joy of the process for the process's own sake, and then that extra joy, the extra elation on top of catching the fish. Yeah, I mean, JP, that that's I mean, you you sort of just explained it perfectly. When when it's and I and I can't explain why, and I, and I won't lie to the to you or the or the group uh, that hopefully will listen to this is that you know fishing is great uh but catching a fish is better and when you don't catch fish oftentimes it's frustrating and uh and i can't lie that i don't feel that at times but i i do as you mentioned love the process you know i i like uh and and fly fishing is a good example of a process you know that that it's not so simple it's not just driving to the edge of a road and and getting out of the car and walking four steps in sitting on a bucket and throwing a red and white bobber out while that can be fun and can be challenging you know the the process is pretty simple with with fly fishing you got to get to a good destination you got to get your waders on if you're walking in a river you've got to walk to the spot you've got to kind of judge what's happening in the river and what you know what fly you'll use and then you're constantly moving you know, through an arc, through, you know, through, through a fly, fly rod and fly line, and you're delivering a fly. And, and, and so you, you've already done a number of things that you find enjoyable. You're walking in a beautiful area, you're seeing a beautiful river and, you know, it's judging currents. Like you're, you're in a, you're in a run that you think holds fish. So you're, you're judging the current, you're judging the, the, you know, the, the, the seams in that current where a fish may live. Uh, and then you're delivering a fly and, and, and even it's more so than the process of not catching it. It's like, wow, look at, I delivered a, a beautiful cast and got it right to where I won. And my drift was perfect, you know, through this run. And so even all of that aspect of the process brings a lot of fulfillment, you know what I mean? And so I think you're right. I think even that part you can able to get, get out and, for, you know, for what we were talking about, you can find that Zen it's look at, I'm, I'm casting well, I'm getting the fly where I want it. I'm drifting well. And, you know, and of course, catching a fish is what you want. And that is this, this icing on the cake. And I, obviously catching more is going to be even better. But, but even that, just that, that, just those steps in that process, I think is also just, just enjoyable. And for me, I can still get away mentally doing that. Uh, and have gone obviously multiple days uh, 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 without catching a fish. I, I've, I've recently brought, uh, taken up uh, uh, tarpon fishing down when you guys are at uh, down, you know, down in Florida. And, and let me tell you, I, I'm going on my fourth year uh, of fly fishing for tarpon uh, and have still yet to catch one of those, uh, one of those bad boys. That's on, that's really my white whale right now. Uh, and so I've gone <laughs> multiple times and multiple trips without hooking up and land, uh, catching a fish, but I still, still keep doing it. Love the process still brings me that joy. Yeah, they'll just wrap your line up around a piling or something, right? I mean, they're really they're really clever. It's a, it's a it's a fascinating fish to catch. Um, so, Mike, I love talking to you about the fishing because it's such a great metaphor. And I'm going to create an artificial division here and say that when I look around the neurosurgeons I know, they fall into two camps. One camp is kind of like me, that 
their life has now become entirely neurosurgical. In other words, my wife says, how come you only want neurosurgeons as friends? You don't even want any cardiac surgeons as friends. All your friends are neurosurgeons and you look down on everybody else and all you ever do is neurosurgery. All you ever talk about is neurosurgery. If I have extra time, I'll fill it with more cases or clinics or writing a paper or doing some organization or something like that. It's, she goes, all your hobbies now are neurosurgery, right? And, and I know a lot of people like that, right? And then other folks seem to have a better sense of balance like you and are no less successful. In fact, maybe more successful. Tell me as like the, the psychiatrist Mike Steinmetz, right? For someone like me, who's probably gonna die in the operating room. And we, we all know neurosurgeons who've done that. Like what, what do you think drives people in both directions? Cause you train people, right? You see people coming up through the ranks, you see how they're developing. Do you think it's it's pathological to be so absorbed in neurosurgery? Um, do you think that that's maybe like overkill for what we do that we already do too much of it? You know, Mike, that's a great point. And I, and I think the generation above us uh, uh, was even worse, right? Like you and I both know very prominent neurosurgeons that, you know, worked well into their 70s and 80s. And these were people that were legends in our field and and well-respected and and really this is what they're known for um and you're right i think all they did to some extent was eat and breathe uh uh neurosurgery uh and um i think it was sort of ingrained in us right this is what we do and it and um this is sort of the life you know we're expected to live um and and i guess it's hard for me to to try to judge somebody that way because we all need to do um, what brings us joy. Um, but I do think it is somewhat, maybe not pathological, but I think it's somewhat dangerous, I think, to just so immerse ourselves into our career uh, and not have a healthy outlet, you know, outside of a, outside of what you do. And so, you know, it can't, it is to some extent pathological, I guess, when you look at it that way. And uh, And my wife, Mike, says the same thing, you know, it's like, you know, all we do is go out with your neurosurgery friends to dinner. All we're talking to is about, you know, with these people, why don't we do and things with people I like or outside of this field. And I think for us, neurosurgery is such a small world and such a family, and we have to be so dedicated to the field and to our patients. It's, it's hard to emerge from it. But what I, I try to, to, you know, to talk to my mentees, to the residents and the fellows um, and make sure that they do have, um, hobbies um, um, outside of neurosurgery. I think it's it's healthy for us both physically and mentally to be able to get away, to put all of this behind us. You know, what we do is so stressful, um, you know, and we don't, we're not afforded many mistakes that don't, that aren't minor, right? What we do, if there's a problem, is a major impact on a, on a patient's life. And so I think we've got to get away and, and be able to find these hobbies that we enjoy, that we can find that inner peace and Zen and that we can reset ourselves and so that we can come back and do what we do with passion, which is neurosurgery uh, and do it better, right? Do it more effectively and more efficiently. And so again, I can't judge anybody by, you know, what they do, but I do think there's some unhealthiness and I, and I do think, we need to encourage our residents, our fellows, and our students to, to really try to find that hobby and, 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 and pursue it uh, and make sure you carve some time out of it and be able to do that. Because I, I do think, um, although, although you know there's so many people that are successful that are out there, 
um, I, I think a lot of a lot of people that have really fallen into just uh, just neurosurgery. Again, a, a lot of their professional life is phenomenal, uh, but a lot of their personal life is not. Uh, and so, and, and some of that may be just not being able to get out and, and doing things you enjoy, and, and 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 sort of getting that inner peace, um, and then coming back and doing it better. Well, Dr. Steinmetz, we want to respect your time, so. Perhaps as a, as a way to wrap up that's purely self-indulgent, um, why don't you share with us and your listeners uh, the story of your favorite catch? Biggest, biggest fish you've ever caught, best experience, purely up to you, but your favorite fishing story. Yeah, you know, my, my, I, I sort of mentioned, I, I, let me say two. So my favorite fishing story of never have happened uh, is tarpon fishing in, in, in the Florida Keys. So I... Uh, go out there every May with one of my uh, very good friends who you guys know well, Greg Trost, um, who has a place out in the Keys. And we go uh, fly fishing for tarpon uh, for a week in May. Uh, and, uh, you know, last year, uh, well, the year before, because we didn't fish last year because of COVID, but year before, um, I was finally able to get down uh, exactly what you need to do with a fly rod to catch one of these things. You know, in tarpon fishing with a fly, it's uh, it's being able to cast a fairly long distance at times in the wind with a heavy fly rod uh, and heavy fly line and, and be fairly accurate with your delivery. And then having to fish the fly, you know, getting that fish, that fly to move in a way that that tarpon wants to eat it. Because you remember, a tarpon is a migrating fish. It's not necessarily eating anything. It's almost like a cat and mouse thing where you you're sort of moving that that toy mouse in front of a cat and it finally gets tired of it and just tries to, you know, hit it out of the way. So um, I was finally able to kind of get the story together and cast at a bunch of, at a bunch of fish uh, and just never able to hook up with any of them, even though it was close and close. And so we finally got under one of the bridges near where, uh, where we fish uh, and uh, was able to, you know, cast and cast and cast. And I finally got a beautiful cast under this bridge delivered the fly right where I wanted to and such that no one said anything, but the guide we were with stood up in the boat because he knew it was just a good cast, you know, one out of a thousand. I started stripping the thing and, and then boom, connected to a tarpon. And I thought, here we go. Uh, and it, in my mind, this took about five minutes, but in reality, it was probably a fraction of a second that I had that tarpon on, rod was bent. And the next thing I know, line was broke. And then we could see the tarpon come up out of the water and Kind of move away you know and it was kind of heartbreaking it was sad uh it was angry but then it was just exhilarating just to know that you know hopefully next trip out i'm going to actually connect with one of those uh keep that fish on and be able to hold that thing uh, by the mouth for a picture and be able to show you guys uh the you know sort of my white whale and finally have that thing caught well what uh what what great stories and, and especially to leave it on a hopeful note like that um, Dr. Steinmetz, we'll look forward to seeing you holding one uh, one of these days soon. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on the show to share this aspect of your life outside of work that brings you such joy. And again, stressing for our, for our listeners the importance of finding something outside of the operating room that can be so fulfilling. Um, so thank you again for joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate uh, letting me do this.